this idea of doing one big adventure and one little adventure each week, the idea is that we want to make life a little bit more memorable. We want time not to just day after day bleed into each other. What even happened last week? I don't know. If that was the week that you went hiking in that state park that was an hour away and you haven't been to yet, you're going to remember that. Or even the week where you tried that new gelato place or something like that. By putting in one big adventure and one little adventure, you can stick with all your good routines. This doesn't take that much time, but it's enough of a cadence of difference that life becomes more interesting, that you are making memories. Time doesn't just disappear into the past. Mama! Let's reimagine mom life together. Mama Has Goals is your hub for relatable support and helpful resources that help you fuel yourself alongside motherhood. Your identity is bigger than mom. And whatever your goals are, together, we're making them a reality. I'll know that we have the same 24 hours in a day, but it often doesn't feel that way. You may see someone else operating their life and their variables and their schedule and wonder, how are they doing it? And I am all for getting as many tools in the toolbox as we can to help us make the most out of our life, our days, our hours, and our time. And I'm super excited to bring Laura Vanderkam onto the podcast today. She's the author of several time management and productivity books, including The New Tranquility by Tuesday, Nine Ways to Calm the Chaos and Make Time for What Matters, along with Juliet's School of Possibilities, Off the Clock, I Know How She Does It, What the Most Successful People Do Before Breakfast, and 168 Hours. Her work has appeared in publications including New York Times, The Wall Street Journal, Fast Company, and Fortune. She is the host of the podcast Before Breakfast and the co-host with Sarah Hart Unger of the podcast Best of Both Worlds. She lives outside of Philadelphia with her husband and five children and blogs at lauravandercam.com. We break down all different ways that you can navigate your schedule and your time, how she does this with kids from 16 to three and really navigates family time versus solo time with kids, teenagers, young kids, activities, and how we can set a strong foundation going into the new year for our new goals, our new time management, but making sure that we're also creating sustainable success so that we can make this part of our life and create more time for fun and joy. So you're going to get some tangible takeaways, great conversation. We keep it real while also giving you strategies so that you can implement now and get more time back. Here we go. Laura, I'm so excited to have you here. Out of our community members, I feel that most of us feel there's never enough time. This is a common theme for humans and especially women and mothers is how does she do it? How does she get all the things in? And I love through all your books that you have and your two podcasts that you talk a lot about making time for what matters. And so I want to dive in and ask the very first question for someone that's listening that how do you decide what matters? Well, that is a big question. Yeah. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> what does matter in life? I think we all have to determine this for ourselves. And, and that's part of the process of self-knowledge because you don't want to just go with what anyone else is telling you is the thing yeah. that should matter to you. You want to find out what truly does matter to you personally. There's lots of ways to do this. I suggest people think about what they'd like to spend more time doing in their lives. We often tell ourselves we have no time. We're starved for time, so we don't have any more time. So why would we even ask what we want to spend more time doing? But if you just put that thought aside for a little bit and assume that you do have time as important to you, what would that be? Like, what would you like to spend more time doing in your life? And 
make a really long list and you can make it in multiple categories. What would you like to spend more time doing for yourself personally? What would you like to spend more time doing with family and friends? What would you like to spend more time doing perhaps professionally or if you're in school? What would you like to learn more about? Maybe there are things in your community you want to do. Just really broadly, what would you like to spend more time doing? Think about what energizes you. What would make you excited to get out of bed on any given day if you saw it on your calendar? Make that long list. And I think you'll start to discern some things from this. That, yeah. Oh, those are things that truly matter to me. And if you are making this list and note that there aren't some other things on there, maybe those are the things that, that don't matter so much to you. And so you are Mama Five. You've written many books. You have a really wonderful business. Were you always super productive and knew what mattered to you? Or how did you get to this place of supporting other women in that journey? I've always been into kind of productivity type tips and stuff. I think I switched high schools. I remember this back in, in high school. I had my first high school, I didn't have to work very hard. And my second one, I really did. So that was like a introduction to this idea of, oh, if I allocate my time to these different things, I can, in fact, change the outcome of what is happening by making slightly more strategic choices. And so that was always an interesting thing to me, which I then took forward through the rest of my academic career and into the early parts of the workforce. I know, like many of us, my notions of my time shifted some when I became a parent for the first time, because all of a sudden you're just more accountable for your time. Just that first you have a baby that somebody has to be with 24-7. So yeah. it's either you or it's somebody else. But because of that, you're thinking about time as you're uh, accounting for that. And you are no longer able to maybe make up time in a way that you could have before. You're not getting your work done. You're like, oh, I'll just work on the weekend as the baby's still there. So you yep. still have to deal with that reality. And oh, if I don't sleep enough tonight, I'll just make it up tomorrow afternoon or tomorrow night. Maybe we won't sleep tomorrow night either. We don't really know. They just have to be a little bit more strategic. And I think that got me interested in how other people were spending their time, like what habits and strategies that other people do. So I began writing about it. And that's where I've, what I've been doing ever since. Yeah. And everyone does have different variables, right? And your kids range from 16 to 3. So you have all sorts of different activities and things that you need to be involved in. And so with that comes like a lot of seasons. How have you changed some of your concepts or routines and how you manage your time depending on what season you're in or what your kids are in? Do you have just this is what we do no matter what or does it flow and change depending on what you have going on? Life does look different at different points of the year, although with five kids, there's always something going on. It's not like there's a downtime. <laughs> I was like, no, do we have any days where we don't have anything going on? And I'm like, OK, Christmas. Because <laughs> it was the day no one scheduled anything. That's kind of life. And I love having a full house and a lot going on. But different kids have more intensity with different things at different times. So then you say, OK, we really have to manage this right now. One thing that's constant through all of it, and I really recommend that other people do as well, is to have a designated weekly planning time. So a moment when you sit down, look at your calendar, look at your goals, think about what's going on and Draw up a list for the following week of what you would like to see happen in addition to what needs to happen and roughly when all those things will get done. Because yeah. this is what keeps life from being chaotic. 
so that you can see that, oh, yeah, we were recording this right before the holidays. So in December, and it feels, oh, there's all this stuff going on with the holidays that we have to deal with. I'm like, oh, but wait, two of my children were born right after the holidays. And those kids are going to want to celebrate and have birthday parties. And you can't really just be like, sorry, you shouldn't have been born in early January. That was an oversight on your part, wasn't it? <laughs> so they they want to celebrate too. And okay, I you know have to look forward and see that's coming up. Whereas if you don't look forward, if you don't have a time where you're thinking about life and what's going on, next thing what's got through the holidays and it's a kid's birthday like the next day and you don't have anything going on and that would be sad. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely planning ahead and looking at that. And in your book, you talk about planning on Fridays. And typically I do what I call as a Sunday setup. I like to do it on Sundays typically. Talk to me about why Fridays and why you picked that day. I think Friday is a really good time for a lot of people who work maybe a traditional Monday through Friday kind of job. I think there is a lot to be said for doing your planning during business hours. And that is partly because you often discover things that need to happen or need to get scheduled or anything like that. And if you're doing, say, your professional planning and on Sunday night, you're like, I really need to meet with this person this week because I see that something's going to be a crisis if we don't. Like, they don't want to take a call from you on Sunday night, right? Like, you know, yeah. you just, and you feel bad about calling. Friday afternoon, though, of course, it's business hours. You can reach them. You can get that scheduled and, and that's fine. Or if you need to make, you know, doctor's appointments for people or dentist appointments or therapy appointment, or whatever, you can call the office on a Friday on a Sunday, right? Yeah. There's just the reality that certain aspects of planning require that you reach out and get things done that way. But it's also just a time that for many people, it's hard to use. You do work a Monday through Friday kind of week, Friday afternoon. No one wants to start anything new. It is very easy to waste that time <laughs> sliding into the weekend. So if you're just going to be counting the minutes until it is acceptable to walk out the door or sign off or whatever, y- you may as well repurpose some of that time for thinking about what future you should be doing. Even if you don't have a traditional job or anything, I think it's good because it gives you another chance to think about the weekend. If you're planning on Friday, then you can think about what do I want to do this weekend? And if you don't have any plans, maybe you can make some, right? And make that happen. And a lot of people suffer from Sunday night blues. And I think that's Even if you like your job, it can happen. But I think it's often because you don't know what's waiting for you Monday morning. You feel trepidation about all the stuff that's waiting for you Monday morning. So if you don't plan till Sunday night, you won't get rid of that feeling till Sunday night. If you don't plan till Monday morning, you won't get rid of that feeling till Monday morning. Whereas if you plan on Friday, you can cut loose for the weekend and not worry about it till Monday. I like that. That's a good perspective. Now, in your book, you also have this phrase that says time is elastic and it will stretch to truly whatever you wish to put in it. And I think that this is so important for moms because we look at our past selves and our past schedules and we're like, how did I feel like I was full then? And now I have all these other things into my schedule that I've just found time for. And I have friends that don't have kids yet. My kids are pretty young still. And then I have people I'm connected with that are obviously empty nesters. And then they have a whole new shift in their schedule. And sometimes they're like, oh, I have all this time back into my schedule. And then there's other times where it's quickly filled with other new activities. So how is it that we feel like time is 24 hours in a day, but everyone has the same 24 hours and they all spend it differently? So talk a little bit about the concept of time being elastic and how do these women create more time? Yeah, time really does stretch to accommodate what you choose to put into it. 
And an example I've often used for people and what I use in a lot of my talks is of a, t- a schedule I saw from a time log from a woman who was living her busy life, like going to work, going to stuff in the evening, had kids, whatever. And she comes home one night to find her water heater has broken and there's water all over her basement. And since she's tracking her time this week, she is tracking how she responds to that and winds up spending about seven hours on this disaster of a flood in her basement. And that is quite a bit of time. I'm sure if you're talking about this at the start of the week, and you're like, yay, you got to find seven hours for whatever. You're going to yeah. go train for a tri- triathlon. Find seven hours for that. Find seven hours to get a quarter of the way through war and peace or something like that. I don't know. But most of us would be like, there's no way I can just conjure up seven hours to do something. But when something is an emergency, it bumps everything else, right? It bumps other things to take those seven hours. And I think what people who are really effective wind up doing is saying, even if it's not making a mess in my basement, I'm going to treat it with that level of importance and urgency. If it's important to me to find a new job, that's going to become the equivalent of my broken water heater. I'm going to make seven hours this week to look for that job, even though I still have my old job with all of its responsibilities, even though my family is still here. I'm still going to just decide to do that first and that everything else is going to crowd around it. Yeah. And as this episode comes out, we're right into the new year. The new year has this energy to it. It has this hype. It has this hit your new goals, get on your best track, your best habits. What are some ways that people can set a solid foundation into the new year? So things that they're not currently doing, that they're going to come in and they're going to say, okay, I'm going to focus on productivity. I'm going to go all in. I'm going to have these goals of how I manage more time, make my time elastic. But we want to be sustainable, right? If we go and we say we're going to do all these things, we're not setting ourselves up for success, then we're not able to sustain that through the year, let alone the month. What are some of the pillars that you would recommend a busy mom starting with? I even suggest, I know this is in January, so it's after the new year and all that, but do a trial run of your habit that you're going to try. So you're like, oh, this isn't the real thing, but I'm going to attempt to do it this week and see what it looks like and see what I can learn from it. And then if it goes okay, be like, okay, yeah, I'm going to try it again next week. And then maybe my official start date for when it is my habit is February 1st or something like that. So you've experimented to, to adopt it a little. But they're just basic foundational habits that I think can make everyone more effective. One is giving yourself a regular bedtime. So most adults have to wake up at pretty set times in the morning for either work or family responsibilities. And if you need seven and a half hours of sleep and you need to wake up at 6 a.m., then you need to be in your bed before 1030. People have all sorts of (laughs) magical thinking about this. Oh, I'd love to get seven and a half hours of sleep and I'm going to go to bed at midnight waking up at six. That's not seven and a half hours. Like the math does not come out right. (laughs) Figure out what the time is that is, you know, the amount of sleep you need backwards from the time you have to wake up. That is your bedtime. Set yourself some sort of alarm 30 minutes before as you wind, wind down, but commit to getting into bed at that time more often than not, unless you have a really good reason not to, and you will feel a million times better and able to conquer life as it is. I also suggest that people have a foundational habit of doing some sort of physical activity just for even 10 minutes in the first half of the day. So challenge yourself to move your body in some way, shape, or form for 10 minutes by about 3 p.m. every day. 
And I promise you that you will be way more energetic. You will feel more positive about life. So those two things plus the weekly planning will get you a long ways. Yeah, I love that. Now, you definitely have days where things go wrong. I, I'm going to assume you don't have some magic potion that you drink as a mama five business owner that things never go wrong. So how do you step into like reset and not let the day go a hold of you? What are some ways that when you're like, oh my gosh, I had all these plans for all these goals. I had all these things I was going to do and now I can't. The first thing is maybe you still can. There are different degrees of emergency. There are different degrees of things going wrong. And the stuff that's within the 90% confidence interval of what could go wrong, you should be prepared for. For instance, if you have a child in daycare, you can be 90% sure that you are going to wake up some morning with that child having a 101 degree fever. They're not that sick, but they can't go to daycare. Now, what do you do? If this is a surprise to you, you are going to have total chaos in your life. You need a system. What do you do then? Maybe you and your co-parent can split the day. Maybe you have a neighbor who is available on last minute notice and likes to pick up some hours doing that sign up sort of thing. And maybe you have a family member who does, you know, but figure out what it is and have layers for when things that are anticipatable go wrong. Flights can be late. That's something you should not be surprised. <laughs> when a flight is delayed, this is terrible. Life is chaotic. Everything has gone wrong. You should probably think about that as a possibility Are building your schedule. So if it's you're supposed to pick someone up at school and you're going to be delayed on your plane, hopefully you have figured out who else could do it if you couldn't do it. So you've got a, a, a setup there. But and, and this in general, you want to build in more open space into your life so that you have a buffer. Because when things go wrong, you're not tied up against the deadline, borrowing time from the future to make it happen. Just as an example, knowing that kids can get sick, if you have this huge project at work that's due Thursday and you leave it till Wednesday, you can bet that Wednesday is the day that the kid will wake <laughs> up with the 101 degree fever. So maybe if you knew about it ahead of time, you've done some work on it Monday, Tuesday, it's mostly done. Then when Wednesday goes wrong, it's not the end of the world. You can finish it off working at home or you've got a colleague who can just put the final touches on it. But it's not a crisis because you have thought ahead and thought about what can go wrong and have built in space. Yeah. Now, for someone that's listening, that they're a last minute person. Everything's always last minute. They're listening to this and they're like, oh, yeah, I know I'm supposed to get ahead of things. How do you start to implement that into your life? Is it because I hear some people say, oh, go to bed 10 minutes earlier if you're trying to get an earlier bedtime and then work your way towards that. Is there a way that you can apply that same thing to planning ahead? For anything big, it's important to break it down into small steps and then to create a schedule that is more sustainable. It's a lot easier to, if you need to write 2,000 words of something, to write 200 words a day for 10 days than to write 2,000 words on one day. So yes. maybe just be reasonable in the number of steps everything in your life takes. And the earlier you can start, the better. I don't know. I try to understand it sometimes just because I feel like it's it comes back to the idea of having that weekly planning time when you are looking forward. 
I think often what happens is that people just don't know all the stuff that they need to do. And so they're going by the seat of their pants and looking day to day because they're still dealing with crises from today. And then all of a sudden they look and like, oh, my goodness, we have big crises happening tomorrow, too. Is <laughs> so we got to get out of that out of that cycle and, and having that designated weekly planning time where you look forward, see what's coming up, see if you have built in space for all the constituent parts of anything that is coming up. You can start to get out of that cycle. Now, I'm not saying that the first week you do that, there won't be a million crises because like you're new at it and you haven't dealt with all the crises that were happening before and they're going to be there. But you start to get a little bit ahead of it. You start to be like, okay, I at least know there's something big Tuesday next week and I haven't done anything on it, but at least I know it. And so I'm going to put a little bit of time on Friday and I know I need to block off Monday as opposed to it just... Monday at 4 p.m., you're looking at your schedule for the next day and seeing it for the first yep. time and having a real problem there. Yeah. Now, your kids are in a range. You have little ones that need your full support for the most part, and then you have young adults. How are you implementing some of these strategies as a parent and helping them learn in all the different ages that they are? Yeah. So, I mean, I do think that people have to come to some of this on their own, because I can certainly tell you as a mom of teenagers that mom telling you to do something is slightly less <laughs> exciting than you might think. Whether mom is a time management expert or not, you may not want mom <laughs> telling you how to manage your time. That being said, you can always just have these open conversations about, oh, yeah, what do you have coming up? Oh, have you done anything to prepare for that? What can I do to support you? And I can certainly see with some of my older children that they do start having that further forward thinking mindset over time. Okay, I have this concert coming up in two weeks and I should prepare this piece more for it. So I'm going to start preparing for it a little bit ahead of time or I have all this work that needs to get done. I have tests coming up and one of my activities has a big field trip during the day in school. And so I need to think ahead about how I can build an extra time for the things that I am missing. So I think just keep having these conversations of what's coming up, where can I build in time, what I need to do. And then my role is to try to support people as they're making good choices. Do I need to remind you to go up and start studying at eight o'clock rather than nine o'clock? Do I need to help you find somebody who can work with you on Spanish or math or whatever else. And that's what I try to do with them. Yeah, so good. Now, whether it's kids or parents, just like people in general, I think one of the ways that we don't set ourselves up for success is striving for perfection. If we're really trying to hit that 100 all the time, where really we want to make sure that we are leaving some areas for those emergencies or for us not to do great. And I know one of your nine ways to calm the chaos in your book is having a habit three times a week rather than focusing on the always. Can you talk a little bit about that? And for the person that's really feeling, no, I need this every day as part of my schedule, how to maybe loosen that. And for the person that's trying to get to three times a day, how do we set ourselves up for a little more accountability? Yes. The thing about daily habits, they can be great. Like I'm a fan of certain daily habits, but what makes daily habits sustainable is they basically have to be like brushing your teeth. Most of us have, in fact, brushed our teeth every day for years. And we don't really think that much about it. It's not like, look at me. I'm able to maintain a multi-decade streak 
of brushing my teeth daily. I just must be an incredibly disciplined person. It's just, it's easy. It's relatively pleasant. You like that minty fresh feeling afterwards. Like it doesn't take much time. And if you're not in your normal environment, you figure out a way to make it happen, right? Like with a toothbrush or you go buy one if you have forgotten one. So we're able to maintain that habit without too much difficulty. And I think for something to truly be a daily habit, it really needs to be like that. Otherwise, it's going to be hard to maintain. Think about the question like, if you're thinking something should be a daily habit, would you do it on vacation? Would Mm -hmm. you do it on your birthday? And if you'd be coming up with reasons like, oh, I probably I could just live a little, not do it on my birthday. And then but it's not a good daily habit for you. You don't want to be looking for reasons not to do it. You want to be knowing that there are all sorts of reasons you are doing it. Now, that said, a lot of wonderful, awesome things in life do not, in fact, have to happen daily. I maintain that anything that happens three times a week is a regular part of our lives. And one of the reasons I'm saying that is because being a, a, I'm putting in quotes here, but like time management expert, people often want to come tell me about their great daily habits. And then I'm asking them questions about their great daily habit. And we find out that they do it like Monday through Friday on normal weeks. So not on vacation, not on Christmas, like Monday through Friday and a normal week. And sometimes Friday doesn't happen because their schedule looks a little different. They work from home sometimes on Friday. And so it's really more Monday through Thursday. Next up, we're really down to three or four times a week. That's not daily, but isn't. So, and yet we consider it a big part of our lives if you are doing something regularly, Monday through Thursday and sometimes Friday. So I think anything that happens three times a week is a regular part of our lives. And so if you can just look at the whole of the week and see where you can do this thing three times, you can probably adopt this desired identity. So an example I always use is a lot of people are like, we'd like to eat family meals. And that's a great idea. But In your life, perhaps it's not happening that somebody is unveiling a pot roast on the table and like one of those Norman Rockwell paintings at 6 p.m. Monday through Friday. Like this is not happening. People have activities, adults work or travel for work. So maybe you just say, okay, it's not going to happen at 6 p.m. Monday through Friday, but let's look at the week and see if we can find three spots where we eat together. Maybe your family usually is eating Sunday dinner together. Maybe you Mm -hmm. often have a Saturday morning pancake breakfast. Like All you have to do is find one more time during the whole of the week where you can sit down together. So I don't know, maybe you look at your schedule and say, actually, everyone's done with activities by 7 p.m. on Tuesday. So if we had a late dinner, if we ate at 7.30 or 7.45 on Tuesday, we could, in fact, have a family dinner then. Now you're the kind of family that eats together. It's a habit. It's a regular part of your life. Didn't happen every day, Monday through Friday, 6 p.m., but it didn't have to. Yeah. And I love the concept of figuring out when you can make it work. We talk a lot about having a problem solver mindset. And if you're looking at your calendar and you say, okay, here's when we can do it. We can do it a little bit later. Instead of being like, there's no time that we can do it at 5 p.m. Okay, what is the solution? What can we do? And I think that we carry so much mental load as humans, as parents, as mothers, but we often give ourselves this narrative too, which makes it even worse. So then we're telling ourselves how mentally overloaded we are, how busy we are. And so bringing in more joy or adventure is one way to get out of that and be able to have a little more peace in our mind. And you talk about one big adventure, one little adventure throughout the week. I would love to hear how you actually start this when you're in the place of overwhelm or thinking that you have no time and how you bring your kids in to maybe give you some ideas of things that they would like to do too. Yes. 
this idea of doing one big adventure and one little adventure each week, the idea is that we want to make life a little bit more memorable. We want time not to just day after day bleed into each other. What even happened last week? I don't know. If that was the week that you went hiking in that state park that was an hour away and you haven't been to yet, you're going to remember that. Or even the week where you tried that new gelato place or something like that. By putting in one big adventure and one little adventure, you can stick with all your good routines. This doesn't take that much time, but it's enough of a cadence of difference that life becomes more interesting, that you are making memories. Time doesn't just disappear into the past. So like anything, we come back to our weekly planning habit. So as you are planning your upcoming week, you can literally sit there and say, what is one big adventure I could have this week? And by big, I don't mean sailing like a Viking around the fjord three to four hours on a weekend, right? So half a weekend day is is a big adventure. Yeah, A little adventure can be just an hour. Do it on your lunch break. Do it on a weekday evening. Doesn't matter, but something that is a little bit out of the ordinary. And you could just say, what could I do this week? Maybe you have something that's already on the calendar. That's an adventure, in which case acknowledge it. Like, look, I am doing this cool thing this week. Yay me. Um, if you don't have anything, you can put it in. Maybe it's meeting a friend to go for a walk in the morning somewhere different, or maybe it's um, going to a cool new store that you haven't been to before on a Thursday night. Yeah. Just you can make a list. You can brainstorm a list of all sorts of adventures I would like to have. Put yourself on the email address list for local places. Get on that yeah. local farms email list and you'll hear about that Apple festival they're having where you can sample six different kinds of cider. That, that might be a fun adventure for some weekend and you won't know about it if you don't know about it. So put yourself in a place where you do start knowing about these things. Yeah. And I love that you're talking about just doing it even yourself. I can assume as a mom of five that it doesn't work to get everyone together for a big adventure all the time. Maybe people have birthday parties or games or activities, performances. And so how often and you don't have to give us a number of how often, but how do you find space in your schedule for when there's like solo time with the kids, things for you to do it on your own, or for these big family adventures with everyone all together? Is there a, a method to it or is it really that weekly setup and just trying to make it work the best that you can? It's more a weekly setup of trying to make it work the best I can. I'm always looking for some sort of family adventure we can all do together. But with kids between the ages of three and 16, there are very few things that are truly fun for the entire family. It just, and even if it would be fun for the entire family, by the time children are, you know, mid teens, they do start to have their own lives. Uh, my feeling is that I would like them to have their own lives and I don't want to force them to do things that they truly don't want to do if there's not a really good reason for it. Uh, at a certain point. And they do well with that too. My my 14-year-old didn't come to a family activity a while ago because he wanted to do something else. And he responsibly found his own rides for it so that he could just do it. And that was great. I try to encourage people to manage their own schedules that way. And I think I wouldn't be happy if somebody was forcing me to do all sorts of things to do. So yeah, I try to maintain that space for them to do their own thing. But I do also look out for things that my teenagers would like to do. I make a ton of Starbucks trips. That's something there you go. that teens and tweens tend to like. And so I can grab a kid and we can go to Starbucks together. And if mom's paying, they're often willing to do stuff like that. So, yeah. I love that. That's pretty simple, right? Starbucks has probably tripled in price since I was a teen or tween, but it gives this opportunity for 
this conversational time that, to your point, maybe wouldn't happen otherwise. And maybe when we're having more Starbucks trips and less family-forced activities, when that one full family activity does come up, they're like, all right, mom, I haven't been to the last couple. I'll make it happen this time. And so I think to your point, it's just creating that self-responsibility and ownership of your own schedule in life, which at some point, my kids are little right now, but I can assume as hard as that is, we get so excited and proud to see our kids taking that on. You had a recent episode that talked about really embracing the people in your life currently and being present and not always wishing for something next. And I think that this is so important as a parent, but also as we're looking for friends in our lives, for embracing our partner, anyone else that we're connected to. And I think those Starbucks trips are such a good example of that, of rather than wishing that your teen would go apple picking with you, maybe just embracing that Starbucks trip. What are some other ways that women can really be more present with their kids, with their life themselves? We're often not even present enough with ourselves. Do you have a morning routine or ritual or anything that you do to really just like hone in with yourself? I don't know about that, but I've never been the sort of person who's shy about taking time for the things that I do want to do myself. I run regularly and exercise most days. I sing in a choir, which is just a fun thing. Although now it's become a family thing because I convinced my oldest kid to join it with me. So we go to that together now. It's just, I think... It's important for everybody to have one thing that is not work and is not caring for family members, something that is just genuinely fun for you, right? Intrinsically fun for you. And it's going to be different from every for everyone. And maybe that somebody wants to play in a pickleball league. It's maybe that somebody wants to serve as a volunteer firefighter. Maybe that it's a book club. It could be a spiritual small group or a choir or playing in a string quartet, whatever. But choose something and ideally make a commitment to it. I'm a big fan of things that happen every week at a certain time outside of the house because then you'll make it happen. You will go to your string quartet practice. If you're just like, yeah, I should take more time for myself generally. What is that? You can't even schedule that. And and if anybody (laughs) else wants you to do something, you'll do it because that's more pressing. But if you have the rehearsal on the calendar at a certain time, you will generally tend to go. And then this more active form of self-care actually happens. Yeah. And the couple different layers I see that are so beneficial to that, that built-in accountability of the other people you're with, as well as creating these other relationships that so often we're hoping for and looking for, where now they're coming to you because you're in this outing or this group environment that you're able to connect with other people and be present with connection. And that is so great. And one of the other episodes you were talking about a preparing a first question. And I've heard this in like business sense. I've heard this in connection, but I actually love this as a parent. So when you're coming and you're going to Starbucks with your teen and you're going to think about what are we going to talk about? How am I going to get this person to talk to me? Some teens are more open than others, but often they don't really want to talk to mom. They're on their phone. It's hard to have that conversation. So maybe you don't do this, but I thought it was a really great way to think about, okay, how am I going to start this conversation? What is the question I'm preparing? What are some ways that you do this in your life, whether you do it with your kids or with different people you're associating with? I love the concept of having kind of these pocket questions that are a little more valuable. And I have heard the same one that you shared that's most common is what's really lighting you up right now or what's bringing you joy, what's exciting you. 
I've heard that, but there's so many other ways that we can start a conversation with our family or our new friends as we jump into the new year and also our kids at home. We every night ask each other what we're grateful for. But as listening to this episode, I was like, we need to ask different questions and more questions on top of that. So what are some of your kind of go to? Any of those are are great. I mean, it's more about remembering the other person. So mm-hmm. if you were talking with your neighbor and they mentioned that they were going to San Francisco for work last week, then the next time you see them, be like, hey, how was San Francisco? Did you get to see this? And it, it's just about honoring your connection with the other person that yeah. it was worth the brain space to remember what they told you. Right. It's just that. And I think our interactions with the people in our lives, we can honor them generally by thinking them through ahead of time. So whether you have a great first question, which is is a thing for a podcast, right? Like you always ask somebody a certain question to start off with related to your theme. Just thinking about, okay, I'm going to see my friend that I don't see that frequently next Thursday. What are the two of us going to talk about? Even make yourself a list. I'm not saying that you're going to sit there with the list, reading it through. Okay, no, we've got to talk about this question now. Because obviously we're human beings. We have a good interaction and go with the flow to a degree. But glowing with the flow is not incompatible with having ahead of time with what you want the flow to look like. Whereas I think a lot of business interactions, like if you were going to go into a job interview, I would like to think that most of us would research the company ahead of time and have some answers to like how we make an impact and a situation that we were most proud of or whatever else these standard interview questions are. But we don't put that same sort of intentionality into talking with the people in our personal lives. And maybe it's we should borrow at least a little bit of it. Not all that intensity, but a little. Yeah, I think it's really important because we do have a lot going on in our brains. I do think that sometimes we make it sound worse than it is, but we have a lot going on. And so if we can put some time ahead and plan ahead for these interactions and these conversations, that person is going to feel so much more appreciated and we're going to be able to receive that back as well. So I absolutely love that. I think it's great. Now, often we can talk through all these amazing things. We've covered so many great topics, but taking the first step is really the hardest, right? And then you can go unpack all the different things. Now, as you're supporting women in your community and through your books and on your podcasts, If someone were to listen to all that content and come back to you and say, Laura, what's the first step I should take? What would you recommend that they start with? This may not sound like a ton of fun, but I always recommend that people try tracking their time for a week, ideally, because a week is the cycle of life that we live it. And the reason is if you want to spend your life better, it's a question of how you're allocating your hours, right? Life is lived in hours. So if you're like, you want to have this good life, that means you are spending your hours on things that matter to you. And if you don't know where you're spending that time now, you don't know what the gap is between now and this life you are envisioning where you are spending your time on what matters. So we need to get that data. And the best way to get that data is to actually track your time for a week. And then you can look at it. And often people have the experience of being like, hey, I actually am spending some time on these things that I find important. And Maybe I'm spending a little less time on this one category than I'd like, but it's gone from this existential sort of problem of, oh, I never have time to read to be like, actually, I read for an hour and a half this week, but I would like to read for more like four or five hours. So how do I go from one and a half hours to four hours? I need to find two and a half extra hours. Where can I do that in my schedule? And all of a sudden we have a problem that is, it lends itself to a rather practical solution 
as opposed to just this sense that life is horrible and terrible and I never have time for anything I want. Yeah, so true. Before we get into our final two questions, I'd love for you to tell everyone where they can connect with you, find you. We'll definitely link down below Tranquility by Tuesday so everyone can take all these nine tactics and implement them. Where else would you like people to reach out and support you? They can come visit my website, lauravandercam.com, and I blog a couple times a week there. And you can also learn about my various podcasts there. You mentioned the one, Best of Both Worlds, a few minutes ago. That's one I co-host with Sarah Hart Unger. We talk about issues of work and family from the perspective of people who truly enjoy both. Love that. Now, you were just talking about tracking your time. And I think especially this day and age, we do actually waste a lot of time. I always say, hey, have you checked your screen time tracker on your phone? And this isn't to make people feel bad, but it is to have just a little bit of self-awareness and how much we're spending on our phone or doing different things. How have you seen this show up for moms and women, especially when they're feeling like they have no time? And how do you find the balance between having true time that you can check out, you can scroll, because a little bit of that might be okay, but then realizing where all that time's being wasted? Do you see this showing up in people's lives a lot, phone usage? Yeah, part of it's just being intentional about our leisure time. Don't tell yourself the story you have no leisure time, because if you do, then you will do whatever is easiest when spots of Mm -hmm. leisure time appear, which is scrolling on your phone. So instead, proactively plan in some blocks of truly rejuvenating leisure. It might mean that you have somebody else taking care of your kids. It might mean that you're doing it sometimes after they go to bed. But you know, think about that. If your kids are going to bed at eight and you're going to bed at 1030, that's two and a half hours. What are you doing with that time? Uh, if you don't think about it ahead of time, you will just collapse and watch the screens. Uh, but if you think, no, I'd actually like to spend 30 minutes on this hobby that I enjoy. And then my husband and I are going to chat for 20 minutes and then I'm going to relax doing whatever. Like you'll have a more interesting evening. You'll have one that feels a little bit more fulfilling. I think it's also important to realize that the reason screens like scrolling around online fits into our lives so well is that it meets a couple of criteria. One, you always have your phone with you. It doesn't take a whole lot of effort. Instagram doesn't care if you're on for two minutes or 20 minutes or two hours. Like it will take any mm-hmm. amount of time. So you don't have to declare that ahead of time or put it in. It doesn't care if you're interrupted. You don't have to book a babysitter. There's all sorts of reasons that it is so easy. So the question is, if you want to spend less time doing that, are there other things you could substitute that would also meet all these criteria? Thing is to have eBooks on your phone and then you tap instead of Instagram and try reading for a while. And, And if it's hard to get your head around that, you're trying to break the habit. One of my favorite, this is one of the tranquility by Tuesday rules is effortful before effortless. Just Tell yourself, I'm going to read for two minutes and then I can go scroll around for the rest of the night if I want. But I am just going to do two minutes reading first. And usually what happens is by the time you've read two minutes of the book you're reading, you're like, oh, hey, this is fun. <laughs> Let me keep reading. Yep. Um, but even if you don't, you'll at least have gotten to do both. So that's cool. Yeah, I love that. Now, especially as we come into the new year and we're ready to hit all these goals, we're ready to implement all these habits. What are some of the things to look out for if your household's not on board? If they're looking at you and they're like, there is mom, she's going after it, beginning of January, trying to hit all these goals, have a new schedule routine, your partner's like, I don't want to sit down on Fridays, I don't want to talk about this, or you're like, I want to spend time in these ways. How do you make this a culture in the home rather than just mom trying to dictate what happens? 
I mean, I do tend to develop the family schedule, but as part of that, my husband has to be okay with whatever I come up with. (laughs) If somebody wants a say in it, then they need to participate. You can't just pretend that there's no schedule because that means that mom winds up handling all of it and whether, but also if nobody's taking on the time, like with you, you can then schedule in your own stuff that you want to do. And then they just have to deal with it. You'd be like, okay, great. You didn't want to be part of the schedule. By the way, I'm gone Tuesday and Thursday night this week. You have to deal with it. That is totally fair because they were not part of the conversation. Then I, <laughs> we talk on the podcast sometime on Best of Both Worlds about the idea of p- planning privilege. Uh, if you feel like somebody else is planning your life and then you get to be like, oh, planning is like silly. I don't want to be part of this. It's because somebody else is planning your life and making it work. And that's not really fair. So anyway, I say try planning in just what you want to do then and do whatever yeah. you want to do. And the other people can deal with everything else and see how long it lasts. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, the other thing that I think about is like when we talk about taking on one thing at a time and we look at even the nine ways in your book that you can implement that, maybe it's getting someone to choose like where they want to start, right? To say, hey, we're going to do these things, but what is the one that you're like most excited about or what's the one that you want to focus on so we can bring people in? I could see that working well with some of our community members that aren't feeling as supportive. It's maybe giving options just like I do with my two-year-old. Okay, I'm going to give you, I'm going to pick the two choices, but you get to pick out of the two which one you're going to do. It's also that planning gets a bad rap because it's often people think about, I'm going to plan things I don't want to do. You have to put the bias on planning things you do want to do. One, what I often, I was saying, I suggest that people take, commit to something outside the house that not work and not family. And If you have a partner, maybe you could just explicitly have a conversation. Hey, I think each of us should take one night off to do something and cover for each other. So let's decide what that we're each going to commit to. I know you've been wanting to be playing tennis with your friend and you never feel like you get to do it. So let's decide that Tuesday night you are going to do that and I am going to cover. And in exchange for that, on Thursday, I am going to go to this other thing and you are going to cover And I think people, a lot of people could get their head around that because it's very clear. Oh, wait, if I want to go do that tennis thing, this is what it's going to look like. And so that might be a good place to start. I love that. Now, you've done so many amazing things. You've shared so much expertise. What is something that you're currently really excited about, lit up, or a goal that you're focusing on? In 2024, I am listening to all the works of Bach. So that is my current project working through all of it, read it, listening to a little bit every day. And by the end of the year, I will be very familiar with his work. So that's exciting for me right now. That's amazing. Laura, thank you so much for your time today. So many good takeaways. I can't wait to implement some of this myself. And I know that everyone is going to go into the rest of this year with some really great new habits and productivity tips. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Sometimes the smallest act of love is all a mom needs to feel reinvigorated. If you can relate to that, I'd feel so supported by your five-star rating and written review. Take a moment and let me know what you thought about this episode.